what I was saying to him about like we have this like assumed evil motive for those who have a different opinion with us. Mm-hmm. But as you engage those people, you realize they're generally speaking, their heart's in the right place. Yeah, well, and well, so you break down that. But dude, his anyway. It sounds like we're on the podcast already. If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. What is the long-term effect of too much information? Information, information. I just need some information. I've been dying. I've been dying. Is it lack of education? I've been reading. I've been reading without any transformation. I'm addicted. I'm addicted. Is it overstimulation? Welcome to the Success Report. The Success Report. Hear ye, hear ye, come one, come all. You are listening to The Sixth Sense Report with Darnell Samuels and Joel Nicolau. Hello. <laughs> Joel, so please tell me now, uh, how's the feedback been from the podcast, like on your social media platforms? Um, I would say most of my feedback's been more personal than public. Like, I got a one friend who literally makes notes. You know who you are. And sends them to me. He emails them to me like, I think he's probably listening to yesterday's episode uh-huh. today. And yeah. I'll probably have an email in my inbox before I get home saying like, here's where I think you're wrong. No, I'm kidding. Just like his thoughts on, on the different things. Um, so in general, you know, if I look at download numbers and, and stuff like that, it's been like, you know, under 10% of the people who listen give us feedback. At least for me. Publicly, though, I think there's really only been one or two public discourse. How about before the podcast? Oh, in terms of like, hey, I want to talk about this issue. What's your thoughts? Pulling teeth? <laughs> uh, you know, I think when like we were asking about the... I asked a couple people what they want to know about the election when we did those. Mm-hmm. And, and I got a couple responses. Um, but I had to... I think I messaged quite a few people. A lot of people are like, oh, I'll get back to you, and ghosted. But, yeah. What about you? Uh, well, it's, it's been weird because the platforms matter. So, for example, on Twitter, you can get a little bit more feedback. Uh, personally, uh, yes, <laughs> I, do have, I do have a couple people coming to me personally. Uh, but I noticed like on on facebook nothing so like i have like about 1300 followers or people i'm in contact with mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the same. so on other issues yes like you know me and tyra debating how to peel a banana um <laughs> meaningless stuff you mean uh me well no not meaningless uh my barber messing up my hairline is serious business <laughs> So I got a lot of feedback and a lot of uh, suggestions on that. But when it comes to church and politics and politics, uh, there's nothing. Even, you know, you know, the guys who I rely on um, in regards to their insights, there isn't much. So it almost seems like there's a stigma dealing with religion and politics or church and state. So I, I think it was necessary for us to create an episode where we can clarify and help people navigate uh this world that um that people kind of have a stigma towards Mm -hmm. yeah i mean on on that essentially we're talking about the difference between church and state 
And how do we contrast that slightly with using terms like religion and politics? So right. What would you say the relationship between those things are? Right. So I was um, working through working through the book by uh, Bruce Ashford, uh, Letters to uh, an American Christian, and. And one of the insights I got from it was that the relationship between church and state is not contradictory. Uh, so there, there are two distinct institutions that God has created. You have the church and then you have the state. But then you also have uh, the uh, religion and politics, which is the philosophy. But then there's overlap in the philosophy when it comes to the economy, namely looking at liberty, freedom, the free market. So there's overlap with religion and politics, but then church and state should be separate. So for example, the church uh, should not be telling the state what to do, and the state shouldn't be telling the church what to do. Uh, the church shouldn't be wielding the sword, and uh, the state shouldn't be funding the diaconate fund at your local church. Now, when you say, I think, you know, church, you're generally referring to any sort of religious, religious or spiritual, yeah, yeah, like mosque, you know, um, obviously temple. we would include, um, what's that crazy one Tom Cruise is part of? Oh, uh, um, the science, uh, <laughs> yeah, Scientology. Yeah, yeah, Scientology. Right? So, um, it might not, that's, I'm assuming relatively not religious or, or spiritual. Um, but I think it's good to define what you mean by religion. Because, you know, for our atheist listener mm -hmm. or, or non, you know, spiritual listener, I don't want them to think we're not referring to them. Because I think the way you're using religion would encompass everybody. Yes. So I am talking about them. So the way I'm using religion is that human beings are inherently religious, whether it's ball is life or. Instagram likes, Instagram <laughs> likes, right? Um, but we're we're inherently religious beings. So so when I use religion, I'm talking about people who are united under a belief system, and that belief system governs the way you live. So even like practically, we notice like when it comes to these political issues, uh, people get offended real easy. Well, that's because their convictions run deep, or the allegiance runs deep. Mm -hmm. Right, so uh, biblically speaking, when 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 the Bible is defining a religion or 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 um, or or worship, it's it's an issue of idolatry. So, an idol doesn't have to be a deity in the sky, mm -hmm. right? It can be or object of your worship, right? Which is what an idol is, right? An object of your worship, right? Well, well, basically, that that that's taking your allegiance from the one true God, and then basically you know, putting it towards whether it's yourself, your kids, mm -hmm. uh, your job. Um, but basically, we're all creatures of 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 conviction, and we work consistently in light of that conviction. So, when I'm saying that, um, basically, what I'm saying is that politics is 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 inherently religious, and that our hope, right? Because uh, like, that's why we, we, we have a, a political allegiance because through that political allegiance, um, we think that there's hope through that. And that's why you see so much hostility 
um, with the polarization with with political views, uh, because there's a sense where like okay, I'm I'm on this I'm in this camp because I believe this camp brings hope. Mm-hmm. Well, I think part of the problem um, goes to what we've made the role of government to be. Um, it's like our conversation with Dina. She mentioned the the law being used as a sword, and I think part of the reason there's such animosity towards somebody without a with a different political slash religious or or moral view than you is that we have now allowed government to operate in a way that I can force my morality to be something that you're subject to under the law. Right. No, and, and that's funny you say that because I would also add that what we see is the uh, the extending of the hand of government into all these spheres in a sense where, you know, the government is overextending itself like, a, like as if the state was God, right? To mm-hmm. tell you what to do and to control everything. So that's why I'm using the, the term religious. Mm-hmm. Which is, is good. I think the other reason that that I consider, like you've already said, basically church and state are institutions. Mm-hmm. So there is an ability to differentiate and completely make them mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, historically, they weren't, right? I mean, even um, you look at Islam, Islam is inherently political mm-hmm. at the same time. It's both a spiritual and political ideology. Um, you look at Catholicism and its influence on kings historically, mm-hmm. right? There's, there is a lack of separation of those two institutions, but with what happened in America, there was a recognition that, okay, both of these institutions have a role. One is morality. One is, let's call it social order. Um, and they need to be separated. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look at the concept of religion and politics, that's more personal, right? That's, that's an, my moral beliefs and what I think the political environment should be, or how do I think the, the policy should govern society are inherently connected. Like you, you can't say, oh, I mean, some people potentially could say, I think this is immoral, but I'm not going to enforce it on other people. But I would say that that's not generally true. Right. Um, for the most part, it is true for a libertarian ideology where you're focused on the individual's freedom to act however they want without infringing on a, someone else's freedom. Right. But that. You look at conservatives, liberals in Canada, NDP, or any other type of, you know, political platform. It, it's about enforcing what we think is the right way on everybody. Right. And, and then it comes back again, like what I said, with the overlap with religion and politics uh, in regards to the economy is, is liberty. So then I would ask you, uh, why is economic liberty important? My first thought is kind of taking it to the other end of the spectrum is, and not to say that 
sacrificing a small amount of liberty will lead to this, but, and that's, let's call it room for debate. But when you lack liberty, whether it's, you know, economic, property rights, my individual rights, when you lack freedom, that's how we end up with the Holocaust. That's a bit extreme. No, but that's why I said like the extreme example, Mm -hmm. right? Going to the conclusion where I take all liberty away. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Inherently, I have a hesitation to say, okay, do I really want to sacrifice liberty? Because when I fully sacrifice it, I get down there. Okay. So we want to avoid that. Question becomes, you know, why is is liberty important? Um, And I think, you know, when we look at the, Canada's charter, uh, again, talking to Dina, we were talking about the pluralistic society, right? So there's, there's pl- plurality in we want everybody to be welcome, mm-hmm. religious freedom. And so for me, if I'm not infringing on another person's liberty, mm-hmm. The only way that I am accepted by society is that whatever I do is accepted, meaning I'm not punished for it. So if I want to do heroin heroin once a year, not that I do, but if I did, why why should I be punished if I think it's morally acceptable? I haven't infringed on anyone else's liberty. And obviously, people can go down the whole addict, and we want to protect against the family members from someone becoming a heroin addict. Okay, fine. My question to you would be, in your family, if somebody was an addict, do you think the way to get them back to doing the responsibilities or taking care of the responsibilities they have is to lock them up, is to charge them a fine? Mm. or? Is it to come us alongside them as a community and rectify? Right. That, that's deep because one thing I want the listener to be informed, to be empowered by, is really understanding uh, the, these core concepts in discussing the issue of religion, politics, uh, economic liberty. So, so there's like three common options. So there's the free market, and that's the government has limited uh, regulative control. And then there's a socialist system. The government owns and controls most of the businesses uh, and the means of production. And then there's a communist system. The government owns and controls not only the means of production, but also all property. Um, and these were definitions um, that I got from Wayne Grudem's uh, politics according to the Bible. Um, so these are, these are concepts that, we can, that you guys can wrap your mind around uh, and you hear being used often. So I think, I think that was very important to really clarify these particular schools of thought. Op- now, mind you, we live in a fallen world, so there's no economic political system um, that functions perfectly. So, so there's always going to be flaws um, in the application of these. But at the same time, you still have to kind of use uh, like intellectual rigor to really see in your own particular context. Because the Bible doesn't teach any particular political view. And that's a good thing. Because mm-hmm. it gives you principles in regards to 
applying them in your particular context. So context is key when having these conversations. We're Canadian, mm-hmm. right? We live in Ontario. So, um, you know, we don't, we don't live in uh, the U.S. We don't, we don't live in Chicago. Right, so 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 the application of our of our political views is is going to be different. Yeah, no, and and I think it's a good point because the application changes, but I'll call it the theology or mm-hmm. the theory mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily. Right, right, because in essence, if I have a a goal uh, or if I believe that uh, individual freedom needs to increase, mm-hmm. what that looks like in Venezuela is much different than what it looks like in Canada. Yes. Right? Yes. And I'm not I'm not going to try to enforce what I'm trying to get in Canada tomorrow this as I am in Venezuela. Mm-hmm. Um I I would say I I would push back on on Grudem a little bit um because I think our our episode on politics when we were talking about principles. Mm-hmm. Um it I think using concepts of authoritarianism versus liberty um, is is more fundamental in evaluating your scenario. Okay. Right? So rather than being like, how socialist am I? It's how authoritarian is the government? How totalitarian is the government? Okay. What do you mean by totalitarian? Um, so I think, you know, it's it's there's not a huge difference between authoritarian and totalitarian um but because I, I mean i know i was like googling it i'm like okay how do i differentiate these two um and to authoritarian i would say a good example uh, and i'll break it down a little bit is from a a, a, a vegan perspective you're telling Everybody needs to follow if you became president or prime minister and you're like, no one else can eat meat. You're uh, like telling everybody your authority or authority is enforced on everybody. Okay. Um, so totalitarian is, and I'll just use the Wikipedia definition, is a mode of government that subordinates all institutions to the state, prohibits opposition parties. Uh, restricts individual opposition to the state and its claims. So it's a little bit like authoritarian and if I'm contrasting them properly would be with a little less enforcement. Mm -hmm. Totalitarian is like dictatorships Mm -hmm. where like you're outside, we, we kill you, right? So think of like hardcore Muslim countries where if you're Christian, you're beheaded. Mm-hmm. versus a muslim country where christians can live right right that w- the, the the beheading of anyone who's dissenting is very totalitarian right okay that that and, and that brings us to our, our next point so the reason why uh liberty is important for the listener is that uh that's it basically gives way to human rights so when discussing human rights fundamentally we're talking about property rights. And, and in essence, personal rights falls under that because you are your own property. Right. 
and that's and that's something I want the listener to to run with when you when you're really thinking about it. So, so for example, like like we see the overlap, and that, well, this is what I'm talking about in regards to the overlap in religion and politics. So, um, for the Christian, we have the Ten Commandments. So we have uh, don't steal, don't kill, don't covet. Right. So these the, these are these are our property right principles. Right, but then we see on the other side, like uh, Mar- uh, the economist Murray Rothbard, where he talks about the non-aggression principle: uh, don't harm me, uh, don't harm my property, um, and essentially, yeah, the human right of the human being in the context of an economy um, that has liberty. And I mean, the non-aggression principle is interesting. Uh-huh. It was originally coined as a term by Ayn Rand. I would say Murray Rothbard and Ayn Rand are probably like they were colleagues, if you want to call it that. She said it, I think, 1961. He said it in 1963 um, in their, their respective books or in some of their books. Um, plenty of people can disagree with the concept of non aggression principle where there's shortfalls. But I think it's interesting to recognize that there's, there's a there's historical foundation for it as far like. There's a quote from John Locke in 1689, and he said, being all equal and independent, no one ought to harm another in his life, health, liberty, or possessions. Mm -hmm. And it's, in essence, the non-aggression principle says you shouldn't, you can only aggress someone else in defense, right? So if someone has an active aggression against me now i am justified in defending myself mm-hmm. um part of the reason why people take issue with the non-aggression principle because taxation is a violation of it okay um so if you're pro taxation and pro liberty there's a contrast and i'm not again I'm not talking about property taxes because you're you get services like slightly different paradigm versus the rich pay for society by force of the health care of the poor mm-hmm. um where that's like I, that's one of the arguments against um the non-aggression principle that i was reading saying like oh it, it's a small you know maybe we charge them like half a percent to the rich and it pays for all this great medical care that's proactive and well essentially you're saying the ends justify the means that's what you're saying Mm -hmm. so because i'm deeming the outcome to be good i don't care what principles i violate because i could say killing somebody who has some sort of antidote in their blood and we need their blood is going to save a whole bunch of other people Mm-hmm. Oh well, the the quantity of good outweighs the quantity of bad. Therefore, it's justifiable. And I, I, I would actually argue this is why something like the non-aggression principle, in regards to property, is something we need to publicly have more conversations about because there's a lack of perspective. Right? You only see the benefit you're receiving, and you, like, you know, let's say if you're in a low-income class and you're getting some government assistance you're you're seeing it like well 
I need this help so that you're the benefit. And you're like, well, that's barely hurting the rich guy. But, mm-hmm. but understandably principle-based, we're robbing from the rich and giving to the poor. And you might be okay with that, but we're not having a conversation around whether it's moral or not. We're just assuming because the ends justify the means. Mm. Right. So, I mean, even like just for the listener, what is it that you want them to take away? I think there's a, there's a couple things. Um, and I, <laughs> what I'm about to say could go a long rabbit trail. Look at the countries with strong property rights. How are they doing? In contrast to countries that lack property rights. In essence, I'm talking all third world countries have a property rights issue. Mm-hmm. So if you're in Africa, the reason why you won't invest in your property is because <clears throat> at any point in time, a government official could come along and be like, you don't own this property. And there's nothing you can do about it. Mm-hmm. So you don't have a vested interest in investing in something that can be extorted from you. So there's this, I think, ignorance towards one of the fundamental causes for America's prosperity is the recognition of property rights. And, and if you look at the Constitution, the way it's worded, it's actually recognizing rights that pre-exist government, not recognizing rights via the government. Right. That's, that's excellent. Right. So it says the whatever, the right of shall not be infringed. It's a limitation on the government, not a verification of what the citizen is entitled to. It's, and I've, heard, I've read something that said like the word the is actually key there, saying the right of. Meaning, it's not granting the right of, it's identifying this pre-existing right, right? So religious freedom, freedom of speech, Second Amendment, gun rights to protect your property from extortion. In this case, it's specifically called out from tyrannical government. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for me, you know, with regards to property rights, that's what I want people to understand and, and comprehend. But I think, why do I care why are we doing a podcast why do i engage these issues um more than anything it's because it i understand issues better when i'm sitting across from a human being who holds the opposite view i think our political discourse is so much like there's name calling it's a joke where we treat the person on the other end like they are immoral or evil or their motivations are bad versus them having a rational opinion that I can disagree with the premises, but they're a human being with arguably the same objectives as myself. Um, and secondarily to that is I, I, so I humanize the other side. It's a whole thing about us. We talk about emotional IQ, uh, what Joseph was, uh, Joseph Smith was talking about. Yeah, that too, right? Like gaining perspective. I'm, th- I'm diagnosing or diagnosing the issue from not only my side, the other side. Um, but I think I'm also refining my own opinion. Like I can think of issues where I held one stance and then as I grew and start to comprehend the other, one, other side, 
I had a new, more nuanced position. I can still hold on to some of my truths or some of the things that, that I find valuable, but now maybe the outcome that I believe to be appropriate takes into account the things on the other side that I was ignorant to. So what about you? Why? What do you want the listener to know? What do you want them to take away from this? Uh, well, I think just fundamentally that there's a difference between church and state and religion and politics. Church and state should stay separate, but there's overlap with religion and politics, uh, especially when it comes to the economy, when we're looking at liberty. So why is liberty important? Well, liberty uh, gives way to human rights. So the best climate for the success and survival of of Christianity and um, the prosper the prosperity of of the country itself uh, it has to be a, a lib uh, liberty a liberal environment where um, people are free to to free to function and free to practice what they want to practice. Now, uh, part of the problem with that is is sin. So there's no perfect. Uh, there's no perfect context for that. So you're going to have people doing things you're not going to like, mm -hmm. right? So, so part of that, you have to really wrestle with what does that look like? So for example, uh, as a Christian, you want to practice your faith, but then you, know, you have Muslims practicing their faith or, or you have transgender or you have the homosexual who's fighting for their voices to be heard. Uh, for the black person, you know, we want to be able to... Um, have our freedom as well to say what we want to say, but whites can't say what they want to say. So, so part of it is you have to have both. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you can't disqualify one person's voice over another. Well, you can, but you're infringing on liberty. Yes, well, right. Well, well, that, well that's exactly <laughs> it. So that's why, um, a, as a, as a principle, liberty is 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 biblical, uh, and it's also. Uh, a good thing for everybody involved and i think that's a, a very key principle to help people navigate uh political discourse hit us up twitter facebook at six sense report but you heard me does that make sense Madden and Mitchell Media. 